Well, good morning. Why don't you guys join us for worship? It's a beautiful morning to worship. Amen.
us for who you are. You're so good, God. Most Steve.
Hallelujah. Yes, he reigns. Lord, we lift our hearts to you. We lift our hands to you. We lift our voices. We lift our lives to you. And we glorify you. We glorify the name of Jesus. You reign in our lives. Jesus, you are our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Therefore, we will not fear. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you fill us with gladness and joy. You fill our tongue with singing. You fill our mouth with laughter. For Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. I liked that when it said in the song, uh, help. <laughs> what was the line about help? How did that go? You are my help. Oh, yeah, it's pretty simple. You are my help. He is our help. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our helper. I've been really thinking about that the last several weeks. And just saying and depending on him, help me. He, he's there. You know, we don't just get born again and live our Christian life without any help. It's like, oh, well, you asked Jesus in your heart and now you're on your own. Just, you know, somehow just read the Bible and figure it out and do it. Oh, he's given us help. Hallelujah. Help to do what he's told us to do. We don't even have, we don't have to do it just in and of ourselves. He is our helper. Hallelujah. Helps us in whatever we come up against. He is there to help. So our first thought should be when we're faced with a challenge, you are helping me. Thank you for helping me. Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, it's good to be together in church. Praise the Lord. You all look great. We're going to dismiss the children to their class at this time. And before you're seated, why don't you uh, greet several people around you. If you don't know somebody's name, introduce yourself to them. And then you may be seated. For those of you who are worshiping with us on Facebook and YouTube today, we're so glad that you have joined us. And uh, you are part of our family, and there's no distance in the spirit, so... We know that you're going to be blessed today by the word of God. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank God for his presence as we worship together. It's a wonderful thing. Amen. If you are visiting with us today, it's your first time worshiping with us. We're so happy you're here. If you wouldn't mind just lifting up your hands so we could see where you are. This is your first, uh, first service with us. Wonderful. So glad that you all are here. You are family today. Amen. Good to have you. Just want to let you know a few things that are going on. Um, we had a new baby this week. And they're going to throw up the slide there, and I'm going to read uh, about her. Let me see. Hold on. Okay. To uh, Kiara and Chris Solar, Pamela Elizabeth. Oh, good middle name. Pamela Elizabeth Solar, born, born Wednesday, June 1 at 822 after 12 hours of labor and for the ladies' kind of information, two pushes. Ladies care about that. Men don't. Uh, she was 7 pounds, 11.5 ounce, 11 ounces, 
and 20 inches long. And so they put uh, her picture up there, sweet little pictures of the family and of the baby. And we are so happy for them. They have uh, two boys. And now, thank God, Kiara has a girl. So we're happy for them. Amen. Uh, let's see. Lauren is going to come. She is our children's pastor. Where are you, Lauren? Huh? Oh, oh, I sent her a little reminder text at the beginning of the service. She's going to talk to us about a Vacation Bible School. But while she's coming, I just want to let you guys know that check uh, your announcement sheet for this month. Uh, there's a men's uh, ministry, and there's also a ladies' Bible study. And then also we just started this last month a mom's group on um, uh, oh, I think it's, I, I don't remember what day of the week. I'll read the bulletin myself, even though I'm the one that's there. I, I will read that. So check that out. Also, uh, in the lobby, you will find uh, voter guides. This uh, Tuesday is the uh, primary here in the state of California. And uh, they have out at the, uh, we did ours, filled ours out yesterday. And there's a lot of names on there. And so there are, there are people who have researched this, believers who have researched this, people who perhaps think like you do or I do, uh, have researched a lot of these candidates and they give their recommendations there's more than one voter guide out there so you can again take your pick of who you of whose advice you want to follow so um is that oh that's lauren okay come on you can bring you can bring abigail lauren will be announcing lauren giving birth to a boy very soon so we wanted her to come talk about vacation bible school while she still can Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, hello, good morning. So yes, <laughs> we do have VBS happening July 11th through the 15th. Um, VBS is such a fun week. It's really just like a foundational time for the kids that week, meaning that we really just want to um, talk to the kids about God's love for them. This one specifically is that they are created for a purpose. Um, and so we don't get as deep as we normally would on a Sunday morning, but it's because it's for the community. So I encourage you guys to invite, I'm sorry, I'm out of breath, <laughs> to, <laughs> to invite your neighbors, um, cousins, friends from school. We really want this to be an outreach, um, and that's why we kind of keep it just like really um, pressing hard God's love for them and that they're created for a purpose and why God loves them and how that's so important to just know foundational basic truths of the Bible. Um, it's such a fun week. Pastor Chip usually helps run games. Pastor Beth will help with snacks. And so we all just kind of come together and um, have worship and, yeah, play games, have fun uh, engaging Bible lessons. So invite any kids that you know, have your friends invite their friends, and yeah, we can't wait for July 11th through the 15th. If you go to foothillfamily.com, that's where you can register, um, ages 4 through 11, yes, yeah, and I think that's it. All the other information will either be, we do have a kids Instagram as well, FFC Kids. But if you just go to our website, foothillfamily.com, you'll find all the information, how much it is, and the link to sign up. Okay? Thank you.
so sweet. Uh, we have, we think we have two of our neighbor children that are going to be coming with us, and I told her all about it yesterday, and uh, we hope to get a few more neighbors on top of that, but I, I told her, yeah, it won't cost you anything, we'll, we'll sponsor you to come. So, you know, just whatever we can do, hallelujah, to get kids hearing about Jesus, amen, praise the Lord. So, I encourage you, even if you don't have little children, you can still invite kids to come that you know, amen. Pastor Chip is going to come, and he's going to to talk about youth camp and also introduce our seniors. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Good to see you, bud. <laughs> I don't know. Are these wrapped in particular? Okay, perfect. So real quick, uh, we have our camp. We haven't been able to go to summer camp. The pandemic was going on. Then I had some stuff going on last summer. So we are so excited to go back uh, to youth summer camp. We go up to Big Bear. It's a private camp called Cedar Lake. We have our own private lake. We spend time on the water. Uh, we take grades 6 through 12. Uh, so if you just finished fifth grade, you are welcome to come join us this year. Uh, we have such an amazing team of leaders. We have uh, people that are my age, people that are older than me, people that are younger than me, and your kids are surrounded with some of the, the, the biggest hearts on the planet. Uh, we don't let them bring cell phones. <laughs> no social media, no anything like that. It's just a great time for us to get away. Uh, Lauren said they're talking about foundations. We're establishing, helping them uh, be ready to defend their faith and have biblical foundations for what they believe. It's a great time to invite friends as well. Uh, they never go out of our eyesight. We are, uh, we are there to make sure they're growing closer to God and not necessarily finding their spouse for the rest of their life uh, like other youth camps. Um, but we just want to make sure that you guys uh, know that if you have young people in your life, if you have grandkids, if you have kids, if you have neighbors, let them know about it. It's one of the cheapest summer camps that you're ever going to find for your teens to go away to. It's shorter this year. We're going on a Saturday morning and coming back on a Monday afternoon. So if you have sixth graders, don't worry. We're not taking them for a whole week away. Some of you might be like, please stay longer. But uh, we have a great time at camp getting closer to, e to each other. And you really see... Uh, the leaders pour their hearts into this camp, and the kids receive huge out of it every time they go. So I want to encourage you to send uh, your kids to youth camp this year. That's July 23rd through 25th. That's a Saturday through Monday. More information at foothillfamily.com on the website. It's sign-ups are up, so you can register as well. Um, yeah, so send them. Uh, now I have uh, the honor of inviting up our graduating seniors. I think there's three of you guys in the house uh, will you guys come up? I think Sarah McClaskey, Snyder's over here, and Linus, come on up, guys. Would you guys give our graduating class a round of applause? What's up, boys? Now, if you guys have ever felt inadequate about your adult lives, this is the moment. Because these are three of the most impressive teenagers that I've ever uh, ever met, ever ever heard anything about. As their parents sent me information about them, I had to ask my wife how to, to pronounce some of the things that they were being awarded. Uh, but we're going to start and just give you guys a little uh, taste or a little tribute to these graduates. We will start with ladies first. Sarah Nicole McClaskey. Sarah's grown up here, and her smile has never changed. It's always looked just like that. Uh, Sarah is graduating from San Juan Hills High School, where she earned valedictorian honors and was an AP scholar. 
She was a president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at San Juan Hills for three years. And I think both of your sisters served with you on leadership as well. Is that correct? Isn't that so cool? All three McClaskey's in leadership at a Christian club at their school. Sarah was the starting varsity goalie for women's water polo for all four years. She was her team MVP, first team Seaview League, and first team all CIF Division II. She's now headed to Concordia University as a Christian student athlete playing water polo and pursuing her degree. She's grown up here. It's crazy. I, like, I remember these kids, just these little bobbleheads with these big smiles, and now they're all grown up. Sarah, your family had this to say about you. Sarah, we love you, and it's our greatest joy to watch you grow, to watch you grow up. We loved it so much, and we are blessed to have been able to experience so much of it with you. We would do it all again in a heartbeat. We recognize the hard work and courage you have shown and are so proud of you. We're excited to see your next path in the new challenges and the new victories in college and beyond. A scripture that we've had on our heart for you is let your light shine before men so that all will see and glorify your Father in heaven. Sarah Nicole McClaskey. Congratulations. <laughs> Daniel James Schneider. What's up, buddy? Graduating from J. Sarah High School, oh, geez, in the Law Magnet Program. Did I say that right? Okay, just checking. His cumulative GPA was over 4.0, four-year dean's honor roll, team captain at Azarian Gymnastics for 10 years, received a congressional appointment to the U.S. Air Force Academy Prep School in Colorado Springs, and goes active duty on July 18th. He plans to go to law school and pursue a career in real estate law or real estate development. This is from your parents, bud. Daniel, you have indeed become the man that we had prayed you would be. Confident, courageous, driven, fiercely disciplined and independent, yet a seeker of God's will and purpose for your life. We're extremely proud of you, and we know that God's hand of favor is upon you and with him. You surely have what it takes for success in every area of your life. We love you, mom and dad. Daniel James Snyder. This is, I don't understand this, bro. Linus Fisher, how, you've been coming here, what, four years? Since you were a freshman. Him and his brother, Paul, they walk over from across the street, and they've been coming faithfully on Sundays and part of our youth program. It's been really awesome to watch them both grow. Linus graduates from Chubuca Hills High School with a GPA of 4.8. <laughs> I thought it was out of four, guys. Holy goodness. A GPA of 4.8 and an international baccalaureate diploma. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Close enough. That's awesome. What is it? It's like AP but international. So 5.0? I don't know. <laughs> He's recognized as an AP scholar with distinction and received both the President's Education Award and National Merit Scholarship. Besides academics, he enjoyed running varsity cross-country and distance track. In his spare time, he completed his private pilot license and is currently working towards his instrument rating. In the fall, he'll plan to study aeronautical engineering at UCI. His mom, dad, and older brother, Paul, are very proud of the young man that he has grown into. Linus Fisher. This is for you, bud. Thank you. Congratulations, Ms. McClaskey. Foothill Family Church, this is your graduating class of 2022.
I thought I was doing good with 3.89. I need tutoring. <laughs> They're all so smart. I remember Daniel. I remember two, uh, two of them from babies. And I remember one time Daniel at kids camp. It was at a night service. And at the end of the service, he just, without prompting, he just had his hands lifted to heaven, just worshiping God. Praying in other tongues, I texted his parents, of course. See, we parents were always communicating. Kids didn't know that we were. I'd say, oh, your kid did this. But it's just so wonderful to see these kids that grew up in the church and love Jesus and are just on the road to success. Amen. What a blessing. Praise the Lord. Um, let's see. I had one more thing. Hold on. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Sunday, September 26th in a few weeks. We are happy that Tony and Patsy Caminetti will be with us ministering in the 930 service. So if you've not heard them before, you don't want to miss uh, that service. They have been friends of ours for over 40 years. They uh, have lived in numerous countries of the world. They live in Australia now, and they uh, they have a, just a, a long list of places they've spoken and things that they've done that they will come and be a blessing uh, filled with the wisdom of God. And by the way, Pastor Mike will be here, okay? So no skipping out. Everyone thinks because we have a guest, he, he's gone. He's, he'll be here. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to give this morning. Praise the Lord. You can find envelopes around you. If you cannot, just please raise your hand and the ushers will serve you. Hallelujah. Pastor Mike, if you missed last Sunday's message, um, uh, I uh, suggest, encourage you to either get the CD, which most people don't use anymore. They listen online somehow to listen to that message. You missed a, a wonderful message. And so what I want us to do as we are uh, praying over our giving and our offering whether you're giving today or just generally over our given, giving, we're just going to say the word restore together, just like he talked about restoration last night or last week, okay? So let's stand. Uh, it's a little more engaging when we stand and declare. So say this after me. You are the God of restoration. And so I speak to my family restore. I speak to my body, restore. I speak to my finances, restore. I speak to my storehouse, restore. Thank you, Father. You do super abundantly above all that we can ask or even think. According to the power that works in us, Thank you, Father, for restoration in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You can be seated. Take offering and then stand. Okay. You guys can join us once you've been given um, the opportunity to give.
promises we have in your word we thank you father for the great work that you're doing in us in providing for us in, in enabling us to do your will here on this earth thank you father for opening the eyes of our spirits today 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start in Galatians chapter 3 this morning, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now in verse 29 of the same chapter it says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now when the Bible says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, we need to find out what the curse of the law is to find out what we're redeemed from. Most people, if you ask them, what are we redeemed from? They'll say we're redeemed from sin. Well, that's true in a measure, but the real truth of the matter is we're redeemed from spiritual death, which is the, the, the source or the origin of sin. So in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we find the curse of the law identified, but we also find that Abraham, the blessing of Abraham, which belongs to us because we're Christ. In Deuteronomy 28, it begins to tell us about the blessing of Abraham, but let's kind of set the context a little bit. In chapter 27, it tells us that Moses, at the direction of God, divided the children of Israel into two groups. There are 12 tribes. He made two groups of um, uh, six tribes each. And he put half of them on one of the two mountains side by side. One was Gerizim and one is Mount Ebal. And the Bible tells us that he put six tribes on Mount Gerizim. And it was the, the, uh, the mountain of blessing. And then he put the other six tribes on Mount Ebal, which was the mountain of curse, the curses. It tells us that he pronounced all different kinds of curses concerning Mount Ebal and he built an altar there and it goes into some detail about uh, the way that he handled these things and the way that he operated but they have found and this is just within the last month I think it was on May 22nd they found little postage stamp size lead lined tablets and in those tablets, through x-rays that they've been able to, to identify in different specific ways that they were looking at it, it's got, in the Hebrew language, cursed, cursed, cursed by the God Yahweh. This is one of the biggest archaeological finds of anything that has been discovered. It's on par with the Dead Sea Scrolls, to be honest with you. Because there are a lot of people that discount the Bible stories, particularly the Bible stories of David and Moses. But it identifies several things to them. It identifies that the Hebrew language was in use for centuries more than they first thought. And then also it identifies that Moses, just like the Bible account Moses, was the leader of the children of Israel. Now with that in mind, and that being the background, the backdrop for the things that were 
described to us in the scripture. Chapter 28 then starts with the blessings of obedience to the word. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all of his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Folks, I want you to notice something. He said all these promises will come on you. All of these blessings will be yours. We're going to see, as we read down several verses, we're going to see that the blessings were in different areas. But nowhere does the Bible indicate, certainly not anything related to the blessing of Abraham, that one blessing will be yours and another blessing will be somebody else's. He doesn't say some people will be blessed in their crops because they're farmers and other people will be blessed in their cattle because they're ranchers. He said all these blessings will come on you. All of these blessings will come on you and overtake thee. That means they're following you. It would be out of order for you to chase the blessings because as we obey God, the blessings are chasing us. All of these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face, they shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses. Notice that's plural. Not just storehouse, but storehouses. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee a holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord and thy God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give rain unto the land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of these words which I command thee this day, to the right hand or to the, to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. Now, folks, the Bible tells us, gives us a lot of information about different things God through the history and the things that he has done that we're speaking of specifically are the uh, miracles of provision that he's brought to his people, not only as a nation, but also to the individuals that call upon his name. We know that God blessed Abraham. He appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He said, follow me into the land which I tell you to go, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and I will make thee a blessing. Well, the Bible says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he has no sorrow to it in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. 
the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Well, if that's true, then we've got to expect that Abraham became very rich. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 2, it said, And Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. God made the way for his people when it seemed like there was no way. As they traveled into the desert, they didn't have anything to eat. And so God caused manna to come down and provide for them daily, every day except the Sabbath day. And then when the people got tired of that, started grumbling, he sent quail into them, into their camp. And somehow or another, however they flew there, they weren't able to fly away. And so the people ate and ate and ate, and they had quail in abundance. They weren't happy with that for long either. They got tired of, and ran out of manna recipes, I guess. It's kind of like the last uh, leftovers from Thanksgiving. It's like, okay, one more time, and then we're done. Now, folks, one of the things that I believe that is so important for us to consider is on the, the, when the Passover took place, when God instituted the Passover as a part of Israel being released from the bondage of Egypt and going toward the promised land. The Bible says that God led them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one people among them. Now, you may remember how the story goes. Pharaoh had refused to let the children of Israel go. But at that last plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally let go and relented and said to go. But the children of Israel, even though they were supposed to go in haste, had one more thing that God had intended for them to do and that they had to carry out. And that was God instructed them, commanded them to go to their neighbors, commanded the slaves of Egypt, the slaves, the Israeli slaves in Egypt, to go to their neighbors and ask, King James says, borrow goods and jewels and silver and so forth. But it was really a demand for payment. They had been in bondage to Israel, to uh, Egypt for about 400 years. And so they went to them and demanded payment. And the people were so anxious to get rid of them and therefore get rid of the, the plagues and the different things that had been taking place. They gave them virtually everything that they had. Now, folks, they're going to the promised land through the wilderness. When they get to the promised land, they understand that God's plan and purpose for them is to take possession of the land, to conquer and destroy the people that are in the promised land. It's not a surprise to Israel to find out that there are people inhabiting the promised land inhabiting cities and so forth. But what are they going to need 
silver and gold and jewels and the spoils of Egypt, what are they going to need those for in the wilderness? God cares enough about us to make a way for us, to provide for us, even in places where it looks like it wouldn't do us any good. The children of Israel, when they looked back, what we know of as the Lord's Supper, when they looked back to the Passover, those of them that believe the Bible account recognized that it was a time of redemption from sickness and disease. There was not one people among them when they came out in several million estimates differ on how many million there were to come out of Egypt. They usually range from 2 million to 7 million. And so it was a great time of healing when they ate the Passover lamb. But it was also a great time of provision. It was always also a time when they spoiled the Egyptians and because of the things that had transpired and the way things had happened, the Egyptians were willing to give them everything they had, and they did. The Bible says that the people of Israel spoiled the Egyptians. We see other situations where the people of God or where a servant of God would obey what God said to do. And in Elijah's case, you may remember he went to the widow that God directed him to. And for the entirety of the famine, the three and a half years of the famine that was taking place in the land, the eel barrel didn't empty. There was always enough for one more, one more day. And it probably happened day by day rather than just the barrel was empty and then all of a sudden. We have situations in the Bible where God's provision was made manifest in a variety of ways. There was one time where Israel was besieged, the city of Jerusalem was besieged, and there was a great famine as a result of it. The people were in some the people were oppressed to such a degree that they were getting ready to kill, to kill and eat their children. And in one night, through the sound of two lepers making their way toward the enemy camp, the siege ended and there was an abundance of food made available to the people of Israel. We see Jesus when he comes on the scene. We see him operating not only in healing signs and wonders, but he operates also in financial miracles. There were two occasions where he caused his disciples to have a catch of fish that was 
breaking the nets. There were several occasions, two different times, where he multiplied loaves and fishes, one to feed 5,000 and the other to feed 3,000. And so Jesus did not hold back from the blessings of God and showing the power of the Holy Spirit to cause financial miracles to take place as well. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. It tells us the story of Jesus when he went to Nazareth. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Jesus was in the habit of going to church. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, Jesus is identifying that the verses of scripture that he's reading from, which is Isaiah chapter 61, beginning with verse 1. He tells them that those scriptures that pertain to the Messiah are fulfilled in that day. He's telling them that they are fulfilled in him. He's identifying to the Jews in his hometown, in the synagogue. He's identifying without the question, without the cover of a parable, with certainty, he identifies that he is the Messiah. Now I want to read from Isaiah chapter 61, where Jesus reads from and show you there's a little bit of a difference in Luke's account from what we see in Isaiah 61. Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord, is, Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to them that are bound, to, preach the, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now verse 62 goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all them that mourn. Jesus leaves out the part about judgment because Jesus did not come to judge the world. He said over and over again that we'll be judged by the scripture, by the words that God has given us. So when Jesus says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, that's a reference to the year of Jubilee. Every 49 years, there was supposed to be a year of jubilee for the children of Israel, which if you read about it, it's in Leviticus chapter 25. If you read the, the details about the year of jubilee, it really comes down to people's possessions being restored, but even more so for families to be restored. Now, the Bible tells us in Hosea chapter 6, 
It says, if we follow on to know the Lord, the Holy Spirit will come upon us like the early and the latter rain. This is a, a, a very important bit of information given to us by God because the Bible tells us in several places about the early and the latter rain. Hosea is identifying to us by the Holy Spirit that when the Bible talks about the early and the latter rain, it's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 10.1 tells us to, that when we see ourselves in the last days, that we should ask of the, Lord, of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. In other words, pray for the moving of the Holy Spirit and that he'll give us lightnings or display his power and he'll manifest his presence. Now folks, what's the difference between the early rain and the latter rain? Rain is rain. The only difference there is is the timing or the time that the rain comes. So it tells us, the scripture is telling us that there's a work of the Holy Spirit that's done in the beginning, the early rain. We know what that is. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost is poured out upon the 120 disciples on the day of Pentecost, Peter references Joel's prophecy to identify the early rain. Well, we see in some detail what happens when the early rain is poured out. I want to read a couple of places in the book of Acts to identify what we're talking about. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, after Peter preaches to them on the day of Pentecost, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and, all had all, and they had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, even as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Look with me now to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And this is after the man at the beautiful gate was healed and the great miracle took place. The disciples were taken captive by the Pharisees, or the Sanhedrin, not the Pharisees. The Sadducees pretty much had control of the Sanhedrin at that point in time. The difference between Pharisees and Sadducees really comes down to the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection, the Sadducees did not. And so the, the, the priests, those that were available to operate as the high priest or other places of service. And these particular, the high priest job was kind of a rotating thing because the high priest in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4 was a different person than it was when Jesus was crucified just a couple of months earlier. 
And it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who is by the apostle surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation or encouragement, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I want you to see something that the Holy Ghost is revealing to us. And that was the attitude of the peoples toward money. After they got saved, after they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they're not trying to hold on and scrabble for their money. The thing that changed in them was God's love being shed abroad in their hearts. And they were led by the Holy Spirit to sell certain goods, certain lands, certain properties, apparently, and bring the, the sale of those things to the, to the disciples so that they can use that to distribute to the poor and take care of people that were in dire straits. The work of the Holy Ghost in the last days concerning money is a heart to give more than anything else. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 12, verse 16, where Jesus spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine eat, ease, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Verse 22, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than fowls? And which of you, by taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If you then be not able to do that which is least, why take you thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, 
How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And seek not what you have, or seek not what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want you to realize that provision is identified as part of the kingdom of God. Sell that you have and give alms. And provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither does moth corrupt. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus' attitude toward money was not, how much can we accumulate? Jesus' attitude toward money was for us to recognize that money is a necessity and God knows we need it. So we should not be anxious or worried about it, but rather to trust him to bring forth what we need. Now I want you to look with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. There's the moving of the Holy Ghost again. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now I'm going to back up and read the first six verses in the chapter to set the stage for what he has just told us about the moving of the Holy Ghost. James 5.1 Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and you shall eat, shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Let me reread that. I messed that up. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped together tre treasure for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which of you is kept back by fraud, cry, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth, and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he does not resist you. The context of, of verse 7, be patient therefore unto the coming of the Lord. The context of that is a backdrop of rich, which stands for evil men in this case, in this setting, this passage evil men withholding from God and his people that which they were directed or should be uh, aware of 
to do or to give or to provide. In the last days, it seems that there are going to be two sets of people. Those that obey God with their finances and those that do not. Now some people have taken those scriptures that we read in Acts and have identified or claimed that God's system of government must be something like communism or socialism or something like that. But folks, I think we have to keep in mind what was the history or what was the future, the things that would come upon the children of Israel after the things began to take place in the book of Acts. We know that the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So the point in time that these scriptures in Acts 2 and 4 are identifying were roughly 27, 26 years perhaps. And they would lose everything they had no matter what. Now, wouldn't it be like God to give us information, supernatural revelation about things to come so that we could use our finances, use the, the wealth that we've accumulated in such a way to help his people that rather than just to lose everything to a failing economy? Now, folks, we have to prepare for the future. There's no question about that. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 23, I think, says that a good man lays up an inheritance for his children's children, and the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. We've talked about this phrase on certain occasions prior to this, but here where it says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, what good is that going to do if it's not before the rapture? I don't know about you, but I'm not leaving heaven to come back to inherit some wealth from the sinners. Once the Lord gets me in the air, that's it. I'm not coming back down until he brings down the new Jerusalem. But there are two or three times in the scripture and the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. There are a couple that directly speak to the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. And another scripture that implies it very clearly, but still it's an implication rather than a statement. How is it? that God is going to bring the wealth of the wicked into the hands of the just if not before Jesus comes back. I think we need to look for 
some divine and even spectacular instances of provision. But not just so we have more to pad our bank accounts, but so that we have more to be a blessing to others as the Lord directs it. Now, if we see things happening in the book of Acts, like we've just read, that qualifies as the latter rain, or qualifies as an example for what the latter rain will look like, we could go through the, the first several chapters of Acts and identify the healings and the miracles that took place. Healings and miracles that, at least in one case, one instance, outdoes some of the works of Jesus. And folks, the work of the church doesn't change because we get closer to the last days. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, The works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. Well, what was Jesus' works? The Bible says that Jesus went about their cities and villages preaching the gospel of the kingdom, teaching in their synagogues, and healing everywhere that he went. Well, if those were the works of the early church, uh, those were the works of the church in the early reign, then those are going to be the same works of the church in the last days too. Signs of the end don't change the church. But it's more like a two-minute warning in a football game. Teams practice their two-minute drills so that they can be ready to finish the game with their greatest success or results to win the game. The signs that we see taking place around us really just should be important in the sense that the game is almost over. But how are we to handle ourselves when the, in the, the end, end minutes, the two-minute drill, where it comes to the church? Well, God's still interested in the same thing now as he's always been interested in. And James 5, 7 again tells us to be patient, therefore, unto the coming of the Lord. For the Lord has long patience for it, long patience for the precious fruit of the earth. And he's waiting for the latter rain to bring it about. He's waiting for a move of the Holy Ghost that will result in multitudes being brought into the kingdom of God. That's the precious fruit of the earth, the only thing that God ever really has cared about. And that's people. 
I believe we're closer to the end than we have any idea. But now remember back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus speaks and reads from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus identifies the acceptable year of the Lord as being a type of the year of Jubilee. But it wasn't the year of Jubilee. Jesus did not experience a year of Jubilee any time in his existence here on the earth. But he identifies that it will be Jubilee-like in the last days. I made the st statement recently that it seems to me that if that's part of what Jesus pray, uh, part of what Jesus preached about himself, and remember he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears, then we should look for a year of Jubilee or the characteristics of the year of Jubilee or the way the year of Jubilee is carried out. We should see something similar in the last days. Well, it set me to studying and researching some things. And I found something that was really curious. Guess what happens on October 5th of this year? The year of Jubilee. It's the 70th year of Jubilee in Israel's history. Now, if you're into numerology, and there's no question that the Hebrew language has numbers attached to it that, are in, that is intended to increase our understanding, if that's the case, if you're interested to know what the numbers mean, the 70th year of Jubilee would be seven times ten. Seven is a number of divine completion. And ten is a multiplier, a divine multiplier that is always used to show God's insistence that something is going to take place. We're coming into the year of Jubilee according to the Jewish calendar. Now, folks, I believe you can overdo it with the Feast of, Jew, the, Feast of the Jews and all that kind of stuff. I know some people are heavily involved in it. And it doesn't really hurt anything, I guess, as long as you keep Jesus in the right position of priority. But some of these things are just too important to overlook. I know people get all excited about the blood moons and things like that. I couldn't really care less about a blood moon. 
I don't doubt that they're taking place. I don't doubt that they have some kind of meaning. But I'm not going to throw away the foundation of Scripture for a blood moon. But I cannot accept as coincidence that we're coming up on the 70th year of Jubilee in the history of the Israelites. What does that mean? Well, as I said in Leviticus chapter 25, it identifies certain things about the year of Jubilee. Most specifically, in my thinking, is the restoration of the families. There'll be a restoration of finances too. But if you read Leviticus 25, the main takeaway concerning the precious fruit of the earth is the restoration of the family. Folks, there's nothing that the devil wants to tear up more than the families of God's people unless it might be the destruction of the tearing up of the church. One of the things that I think we need to be aware of is the devil's increased activity against your family and your church much more so than any other time. And it always works this way. There are those who are more fixated on the natural realm and the things that are taking place around us and they get sucked in to the devil's work, become offended by whatever rumor they hear. And in many cases, they become separated from the people and the place that God has for them. We shouldn't be surprised at this because if we've got a two-minute drill as a church, the devil sure has a two-minute drill as a destroyer. So I believe it's more important in these last days to guard our hearts and to refuse to be offended than it's ever been in the history of the world. If you let yourself get offended, you're going to take steps outside of God's love. If you allow offenses to take you away from your church family or the family that God has for you, then you're going to get pulled out and you're going to have a single ticket, uh, target on your back. T.L. Osborne used to say, the banana that gets pulled away from the bunch is the one that gets peeled. And that works with people too.
So, folks, we've got some interesting things ahead of us. We've got some important things ahead of us that were prophesied hundreds and even thousands of years ago. But you know what we also have? We have an absolute sure foundation to build our lives on. And that foundation is the word of God. These communion elements that we're about to partake of identify God's love for us because of what Jesus redeemed us from. Not only is the taking of this juice and bread symbolic of the fact that we've been redeemed from spiritual death which provides us forgiveness of sins but we've also been redeemed from poverty and from sickness I'm going to start looking at it as a restoration of the family. I'm praying for the restoration of your family. I'm going to keep reminding God of how important the restoration of all of our families are. I believe we're coming to a time where we can expect the work and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to put things back together that had been severed. Gentlemen, will you come forward, please?
Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Father, we take this bread and we remind you that Jesus took stripes on his back to affect our healing, to affect a healing and a cure in us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. So, Father, we take this bread and we call upon you to restore our divine health. What Jesus paid for, we need not bear. And he paid for it, paid for our healing in his own precious blood. Thank you, Father, 
for making it so in Jesus' name. Let's receive the bread. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Father, we take this cup, which represents your blood that was shed for us. We thank you, Father, that we've been redeemed from spiritual death. We thank you, Father, that we've been redeemed from sickness and poverty. Father, we trust in the blood of Jesus to restore us. And especially in this time that we approach, we thank you for the restoration of families. We thank you for rejoining parents to children and children to parents. By the blood of Jesus and by our faith in your word, we call it done. So we receive this cup now, Father. And by receiving it, we declare before all the earth that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Let's receive the cup. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands and thank God for restoration. Whatever you're believing for to be restored. Thank you, Father. That your mercy endures forever. Thank you, Father. For putting things back together that only you can do. Thank you, Father, for the restoration of our bodies, the restoration of our finances, and the restoration of our families. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.